are the last of your kind. All that remains of a once powerful nation. I knew you were real. I always knew you returned. You are the only one who can bring balance to a world at war. But some will stop at nothing to destroy you. Destinies are tied, Zuko. We started a rebellion. He will need you. We all need him. Hey, how's it going? I'm Tyler Woods, and welcome to another episode of What Could Go Wrong? This is a series of podcast episodes that investigate films that were supposed to be such a big deal. Turns out, it was, just not in the way that they were expecting. All right, let's start. Our year is 2005. I had just turned 17, which is one of my fondest birthday memories because I could finally get my hands on the greatest game ever on the PlayStation 2, Star Ocean Till the End of Time, an epic adventure role-playing game that was said to take forever to beat, which was kind of almost took about a year. Uh, but during that, my first week, uh, crazy how I can recall all of this, by the way, uh, I go, hey, where's my little brother at? And normally we watch each other play our games, but he was nowhere to be found. So I caught him upstairs in mom and dad's room watching Nickelodeon on TV, who gets really excited that I show up because he really wanted me to see what was on. And that turned out to be Avatar The Last Airbender. This series was so hyped. I, I'm not kidding. All right, because when it aired, even some of my uh, high school peeps were into it. Uh, for those who are uninformed about what Avatar The Last Airbender is, it's an animated show about four nations who each uh, have their own nation of elements where some individuals can manipulate it. Uh, there's the nation of water, which is completely modeled after Eskimo culture. Earth is uh, Earth nation is modeled after Chinese culture. Uh, the wind nation modeled after Tibetan culture. And then you have the fire nation modeled after Japanese culture. Uh, but there's one individual throughout the whole world here who can control all of, all of the elements. And that person is hailed as the avatar, the one who brings balance to the world. And in this story, the fire Nation doesn't want to play nice, so they go to war with everybody, and the Avatar is nowhere to be found until 100 years later by a uh, pair of uh, siblings from the Water Tribe who find out that the long-lost Avatar is a 12-year-old boy named Aang. Why did I just spit so much exposition on that? Well, I mean, you're going to find out. Anyway, so this show was only three seasons long, with a few years in between the second and third, lasting from 2005 to 2008, accumulating fans of every age. The Avatar Mania, I kid you not, it followed me into college. Uh, for me, I wasn't really that big into it at first. I didn't see what the big deal was, as I was kind kind of in another realm of fandom only my personal friends know but back to the setup during that long wait for the final season paramount pictures and nickelodeon movies they started to see opportunity in making their new hit show the next summer blockbuster so what 
could go wrong, huh? In their announcement, they claim that they had signed a deal to write, direct, and produce a trilogy of films, and directing would be none other than, no, not Steven Spielberg, but M. Night Shyamalan. The masters of twists. Does he even need an introduction? I mean, this guy was all over the place around that time. I mean, I think his last film before even signing on of uh, directing Avatar The Last Airbender was uh, The Lady in the Water. You remember that, right? Nobody remembers that. Well, anyway... Why M. Night, though? Turns out there's actually a personal story behind this. His daughter was a huge fan of the show, and one Halloween she dressed like the uh, main female lead, Katara. And M. Night admitted to watching the show then and uh, researching it with his family and was definitely attracted to the spiritual and martial art influences of the show. And I found an interview here from 2014 from the show's creators, Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Konietzko. They both admired M. Night's work, and M. Night respected their material as well. And before the film even got greenlighted, the project was already given a go-ahead over their heads without their approval. And the following, according to Konietzko, states that they didn't want it to be done at all if it was going to be done. They, referring to himself and DiMartino, wanted to do it, but they wouldn't let them. And when M. Night was attached, they just had to go through with it. Help when asked, but if not, just stay out of the way. Off to a very good start here, wouldn't you say? Anyway, I can't prove this theory, but there is an episode from the cartoon series. Uh, I think this was on the last season where the characters, they watch a play that depicts, uh, you know, the series so far, uh, but can't help but point out uh, flaws in the play. That might have been a jab at the upcoming film production, but then again, it could have been any kind of film production that has a uh, very poor live adaptation like Super Mario Brothers, Street Fighter, maybe possibly other uh, what-could-go-wrong uh, episodes in the near future. All right, so let's talk about the casting here because this was a very big thing. Uh, the casting for the film signed on Noah Ringer, uh, who would be uh, uh, the Avatar Aang, uh, Nicola Peltz as the strong-willed independent Katara, Jackson Rathborn as the wise-cracking, silly-cunning, I'm just kidding, serious, brooding, edgelord, Sokka, and starring as the fangirl's favorite fire prince, broody, serious, edgelord number two, and bad boy, Jesse McCartney. No, wait, hold on, I'm sorry, I meant Dev Patella, yeah, from, uh, uh, the Green Knight that recently just came out. A good film, by the way. I advise you go uh, go check it out. See, what was going on with uh, McCartney was that he was at the height of his musical career. He was busy making platinum hits, touring with Ludacris. Uh, so M. Knight had to go with uh, Dev, who was just coming off his film debut with Slumdog Millionaire. Of course, this brought all kinds of major controversy as, as uh, fans called out uh, for the misrepresentation of characters who are uh, in the show of East Asian and Intuit influence. It triggered a lot of negative reactions. Even the media action network for Asian Americans called for a boycott of the film. But wait, says M. Night. Ultimately, this movie and the other films to follow will be the most culturally diverse tense poll movies ever released. And he actually said period. Uh, but this was a way he believed to please the existing fans and bring in new ones. You know, let's talk about that for a minute. You see, when Avatar, The Last Airbender, came out, look at me. I was not drawn to it at first. I thought it was stupid. Then at some point after the series ended, I finally got around to watching it all, and I found an appreciation for it. So changing things to bring in new fans, I can confirm, using myself as an example, as one who did not watch the show in its first run, who thought it was dumb, but then after it ended and had watched it all, the franchise found a new fan. 
pretty much says this was not the way to go, right? Also, if you're going to bring your own version of something that is cherished by fans, maybe, and just hear me out on this, maybe approach the scenes from the show and how would you direct them rather than change a franchise's key factor. And nobody was buying this, by the way. Not even the late Roger Ebert was having it. In his review of the film, he calls out Paramount and M. Night for offending the fans. Recently, I found an interview from uh, Dev Patel uh, opening up about this uh, decision, uh, which, you know, he's done several times before, I think. He accepted the role as he was, yes, coming off uh, his Slumdog Millionaire success, and he was just eager for more work. He was hungry for more opportunity. Plus, you know, his decision to take on the role as Prince Zuko, I mean, came from his admiration of martial arts and hearing the name M. Knight, who at the time, yes, was, you know, very big in the industry. And tied to a film using all kinds of martial arts, uh, you know, it fueled the decision even more. But guess as he was miscast and the film didn't hit the mark. It was hard. It was a hard process for him because it was a bigger machine than he was used to that, you know, felt adrift from sea. He could see the worry in the studio due to his performing. It was quite a torturous experience in that sense where you know you've probably been miscast in something and you're right for it. He didn't have any confidence and didn't know how to apply what he now knows are his good tools as a performer and the truth he can bring to a part. Another big challenge, which uh, afterward became another harsh criticism for the film, was how the studio would utilize visual effects to match the show's style when characters would fight using the elements. The duty fell on one Pablo Hellman whose previous work shows he's worked at Lucasfilm on Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. He worked with M. Night reviewing each scene, talking about the visual effects needed to tell the story. Hellman says it was challenging, trying to find out which bending was for fire, water, earth, and air. Hold on. If I understood that correctly, challenging trying to find out which bending was for fire, water, earth, and air. Gee, if only there was some kind of distinctive way to tell who bends what. I mean, I guess the ones who are clad in uh, red and black, you know, the bad guys of the movie, they're not the firebenders. No, they are the waterbenders. And the people uh, who clearly live uh, in the uh, Arctic, uh, the water tribe, they, they definitely, uh, uh, yeah, bend fire. Yeah. Oh, how to tell them apart. I don't know. It's not like uh, they could have gotten help from someone, someone, maybe Anybody who has worked on the cartoon series, I mean, they do remember this is based off of a kid's show the studio runs on television, right? Oh, well, it's not like it could get any worse, right? Or can it? <laughs> you forget what kind of podcast this is. What could go wrong? Well, 3D Paramount uh, announced in April of 2010 that the film would have a 3D release. Why? Because I want a Nintendo Entertainment System like Johnny down the street, Mom. That's right. Everybody was hopping on the 3D craze because it worked for... Disney's Alice in Wonderland, the awful Clash of the Titans remake, and Mr. Take His Time on Films, James Cameron's Avatar. Hellman stated that M. Night's way of shooting without the fast editing and the film's visuals could lend itself to the 3D conversion uh, very well. However, James Cameron disproves any film using the process, saying uh, you can only uh, slap the 3D label on it and call it 3D, but there is no possible way that it could be done up to standard that anybody would consider high enough. Well, M. Night decided not to do it, and I'm just kidding. He uh, he got it done with the same company who worked with James Cameron on his film Avatar, adding uh, between 
five and ten million dollars to the budget bill. The film's budget, by the way, turned out to be one hundred and fifty million dollars and made nearly three hundred and twenty million dollars back. So, yeah, all in a day's work. No loss, right? Well, the fans and critics uh, sounded the horn of battle, calling it the worst film of 2010, which it did win uh, at the Razzies, as well as uh, Worst Director, Worst Screenplay, Worst Supporting Actor to Rathbone, and Worst Eye-Gouging Misuse of 3D at the 31st Golden Raspberry Awards. Criticisms, like mentioned before, about the directing, casting, acting, the visual effects in 3D. But what was that about the screenplay? Yeah, uh, check this out, all right? Uh, so not only was this film a bad misrepresentation of a uh, cartoon show, I mean, a current cartoon show, but kind of added the, uh, the, the one thing that is almost vacant in every live action adaptation based on some kind of property. It is the mispronunciation of main characters names. His name is Ang and not Ong. Not unless uh, you're going to add unga bunga binga banga bunga cowabunga. Uh, Katara became Katara and you can only imagine uh, you know the names for the others and let's not forget the one thing I feel was M. Night's statement about this whole process and that's fell uh, sadly, on actress uh, Shaychelle Gabrielle portraying uh, the Water Tribe princess uh, Yue. Uh, if you've seen the movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about because I'm not going to say anything more about it. Anyway, M. Knight went on to argue that his style and art form of storytelling resulted in the negative reviews of the film and compared it to asking a painter to change to a different style. But in 2019, he revealed he regretted accepting the directing position and would go on to finance his own film projects. Yeah, like old. That's it, all right, right? Ooh. Well, nah. Anyway, what about the sequels? Well, the last update was in 2015, and Knight said in an interview, maybe? And that was it. But what's this? <gasps> a new live-action series of Avatar, The Last Airbender, from Netflix? Netflix puts out good stuff. Maybe they'll get a row. Creators quit due to creative differences. Well, I guess that's another what could go wrong for another time. Anyway, thanks for joining me on this in-depth look at The Last Airbender, What Could Go Wrong. If you would like to suggest future What Could Go Wrong episodes, uh, review a movie with me that you thought was bad, or would like to be a guest on future podcasts, email me at tyler.woods at 106khq.com. I'll see you later.